Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, the following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen of the Outlaw Radio Network. Hi, I'm the nice man on the radio. By the way, what is with you today? Did you hear yourself just now? No, how do I sound? I was trying to sound like radio. Yeah, I know. You were you were doing an impression of a bad guy doing an impression of a, a guy bad doing guy radio. doing radio. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, reminds me of when I was in college and we did the radio Where show. Where did you get this business about the... Uh, because you do this every What the hell are you talking about? This, uh, you'll hear what I'm talking about. No. If you just shut up and pay attention. Oh, okay. The secret bunker. Why do you call this a secret bunker? We got signs out front. <laughs> he doesn't want secret bunker to this way. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you folks looking for the secret bunker? We we have the secret bunker map here in the uh, Hollywood Hills. My goodness. And who would I be? You'd be Howard Lapidus, manager to the star. I'm Burl Bear, the one that guy. I can't get that out of my head. What's that? The guy who said how obnoxious I was on the no, radio. Are you? <laughs> Me, obnoxious. Oh, for, first of all, I didn't hear that, but I understand. But yeah. but, but but who said what? Oh, the, the they were commenting on Dan Zapansky's webpage. Uh, the, the posted uh, when I was on his show, and he said they always get more listeners when I'm on the show because people are fascinated by obnoxious disc jockeys. And uh, well, <laughs> it's and a right. true crime program after all. It always worked for me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, someone was saying, "Oh, I always enjoy it so much when Burl Bears on Dan's show, and um, I can get a pulse that way." <laughs> and, and, and they don't miss me when I'm no, not. No, they with don't you. miss you at all. Thank you. No. Uh, but then someone said, "Oh no, oh no, not Burl Bear. Uh-uh. No, too over the top, too obnoxious, too loud." Have I, have I been on Dan's show? I think so. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't even remember. Uh, we'll ask Dan next time we talk to him. Why don't we talk to him today? Because we have nothing well, to what? talk about. <laughs> well, we may have some things to talk about. Like what? Why don't you get get, get into it, Burl? Okay. I, was, I mentioned Madame Wong. Two well, you, Wong. Ma you mentioned it to me on the telephone. What, what do two of those make? The two Wong. Wongs don't make a white. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. I yeah, have to... Uh, uh, taxi. Uh, taxi. Taxi. Yeah. <laughs> the news Uber. has many voices. <laughs> well, no, here's the deal. Uh, last night, I went to the... Oh, Frank Hagen's here and Mark C.G. Boy, our fact checker, and uh, Matt Allen, of course. Uh, went to the CIA. The... Uh, what, what is the official name of that place? Central <laughs> Intelligence? No, no, no. It, no. It, it's your Langley. bit. Langley? It's, no, it's it's a, a tavern, a very bizarre tavern run by a, a former a mortuary guy. That's really weird stuff. They've got three or four dead bodies in there, mummified, but they're not like Egyptian mummies. They're like San Francisco <laughs> mummies. It was a very famous ball team back in about 1932. So the gay mummies. Yeah. So anyway, uh, one of the one of the mummies. I don't know where that came from. One I'm of the sorry. mummies they have on display was that it was a real human body that's been mummified in with mercury, which is can't oh, be. Oh, that's healthy. healthy. Yeah, let's <laughs> get the crowd a little closer to the. Uh, yeah. uh, she was a midget or dwarfette, hypno hypnotist, performer, and thief. And she wound up going to the big house, probably Alcatraz or something, because they sent her, <clears throat> her away. She was performing at a big, uh, big performance in San Francisco, and first what they thought she did is she'd hypnotized the entire audience and then came down off the stage and was stealing the jewelry off of the people in the audience. Look, you got to have a bit. Yeah, everyone's got to okay, have an angle. you got to have an angle. The other thing she did is, is part of the act is that she was going to make the famous Star of India diamond disappear. And which she, she did, did. <laughs> but didn't make it reappear. Well, that's the thing, <laughs> yeah. you know. It's... So one of the uh, people in the audience <clears throat> who wasn't quite as unconscious as the rest of them figured out what was going on because here's little Madame Wong, uh, you know, ripping up jewelry off of people. He goes outside and finds a cop, brings him in. The cop sees uh, Madame Wong robbing somebody right then and there, so she's arrested. And uh, she went to prison. Let me just back up. Yeah. Okay. So she's performing something. Yeah. In San Francisco? Yeah. 
And there's an audience there. Big, big audience. Big. She hypnotizes the audience. Well, actually, what she really did is on the walls of the theater, they have all these giant uh, dragon heads. They were pumping opium smoke into the theater. They could have just played our show. Except we were six. Yeah, and they nod off because yeah. the people get opi opiated. And, um, Why don't we pump some opium in here? Well, that would probably slow us down. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. They got a little provisional. <clears throat> I've nice. never had such a thing, so I wouldn't. Well, have you ever had cough syrup like dextromethorphan, hydrobromide? Oh, all the, all the time. That's synthetic codeine. You're, you you so. have no mic, by the way. I have no mic. Well, you're now not, he you, has a mic. You have one when Who you said use, he could have a mic? When you use it properly, it works. I'm sorry, that would be against my religion. No, oh, it's not a no, good we're doing just fine over here, Burl and I. <laughs> yes. You know, if, if you don't have a parapet, then you got problems. Right. Uh, or or, a, 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 rump, or a shovel or a spade to bury your poop in the sand. That's what I mentioned. Where were we going with the show? Oh, oh I was... Madam Wong story. Yeah. Madam Wong, thank you. So, anyway, Madam Wong uh, was really Wong because the, the diamond that she made disappear and didn't have it reappear was fake. <laughs> so she went through all this trouble to steal this valuable diamond, and it was fake, and uh, she dies in prison. And the family that... Uh, because she stole a piece of plastic. Well, yeah, and also... It was glass, actually. She also was robbing the, the people in the theater. Now, the family that owned the diamond that, that was on, like, lend lease to the museum or whatever, they donated her body which somehow I guess um, they got rights to. <laughs> Her mummified body and some of the posters from the event and the uh, diamond, fake diamond that, that uh, she made disappear, donated it to uh, this bar <laughs> in, uh, in North Hollywood. A bar in North Hollywood. Uh, and it's the not a museum, not a... It's like a museum. It is as if you are in... It's a, a bar in North Hollywood. Is it's what a bar saying. in North Hollywood that's like a museum. It's got... All sorts of weird-ass stuff in there. Very strange. And the guy who runs it is a uh, former mortician. I think about just being a mortician. And so they got some real strange things. There's an, another... Uh, I'm trying to remember the actual name of the thing. Collection of Incredibly Absurd Artifacts. CIA. Collection of... So that's the name of the place? Yeah, CIA. Collection of Incredible... And this is the bar in North Hollywood? Yes, on, on Burbank. Uh, so it's a... By, by Lancashire. How, how, could I, how could I have never have in my entire life heard of this? It, I've been there before. It's brilliant of an idea that you really want to go to see it. <laughs> yeah. It is really I fascinating. Mean, is Burl maybe drinking too much and thinking I don't this drink. is this or... You know. No, I no. That's that's not true. I mean, you say you he, you don't drink. I don't drink vast drink. amounts, but on occasion he will oh, have okay. a shot. Yeah, that's right. Which is good for you. Yeah, for medicinal purposes only. He drinks as much as I do. Yes. Now I stopped drinking when I went to the. Uh, here's the day I stopped drinking. Um, I went to the uh, the uh, Beverly Hills Hotel with Magic Matt. Mm -hmm. That'll make anybody stop drinking. And I bought a. Uh, Bloody Mary mm -hmm. for 19 bucks. Oh, my God. No wonder you stopped drinking. I stopped. Yeah, right there. Right there. Because Matt would come in, you know, he comes to Dallas already, goes, I got to tell you the story of I was minding my own business, and I got a Bloody Mary for $3.75. And that was the big news. And no, that that's is always good. big news. Yeah, compared to 19 bucks. That 19 you like bucks. A shell down. No, that was the end of me. <laughs> Who needs this? Oh, not at 19 bucks, you don't. No. Okay, the, uh, one of the uh, some of the other interesting things that they have at the uh, CIA. How about one thing? No, well, that's just the, I, I already did one. I'm gonna do a second one. We didn't like the first one. Yeah, a, there was this clown who was not only not funny, but he got fired from the only circus he ever worked at because he was a raging alcoholic. Oh, oh, he was the clown that was the raging alcoholic. He was the one clown that was a raging alcoholic. He gave them all such a bad name. Right. Yeah. Uh, hello. Uh, it was in his, his will, his last uh, slurred comments before he hit the pavement, was, I want to be on public display indefinitely after I've gone. So they had his body hermetically sealed with glass, uh, you know, but he was preserved in mercury also, mummified. And uh, he also was donated to the CIA and is there in North Hollywood. 
Who is this guy again? The, the bad clown? Yeah, so we have a bad clown You have on a bad place. clown. you got the uh, crooked uh, midget. Uh, oh, where do I get a ticket to this place? Oh, you just walk right in, sit oh, right I, down. It, it, and, 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 I was there up. last night. Now, then they have uh, the haunted arm. <laughs> well, see, here's the deal on this one. There was this woman who was a, uh, a singer, popular singer, opera singer in San Francisco, and uh, she took a vow that she was not going to sing until after World War I was over. Well, as soon as World War I was over, she booked herself a concert, and everyone shows up, and she's on stage, and she's belting out the hits by doing Devil with the Blue Dress on. <laughs> and she suddenly drops dead of a, of a brain embolism or something right there on stage in front of an acre of drunks or whatever they have. An acre of drunks. <laughs> what do they have? It. Uh, you do realize how la large an acre is. Uh, yeah, an acre of, of drunks. Of drunks. Yeah, an acre. She was performing live before an acre of drunks in San Francisco. Her husband is watching this from, like, the sponsor's booth, <laughs> you know, up above, and he's so shocked that his wife drops dead on stage, he thr thrusts his arm out. You can see this, ladies and gentlemen, I'm thrusting my arm out right through a glass enclosure, cuts his arm so severely the arm had to be amputated. So far, it's a successful evening visually. Now, he has the arm mummified and put it on display. And that's there also. Was he planning on joining his arm at some point? Or? At some, well, I guess he's keeping the situation at arm's length. Yeah, yeah. yeah pretty much it. Uh, there's also a, a creature... Mum uh, mummified or taxidermified, kind of like Norman Bates used to do. You know, I have to stop you right now. <laughs> yes. No, I no, I do. Okay. I do because I'm thinking people tune into the show. Yeah. What the hell is, is that? It? Yeah. Well, no, I mean it's a true crime situation. There was a guy came down from the California uh, Museum of the Natural History Museum. Yeah. And he looks at this thing and he goes, uh, "We want that." We, we, you know, we want that uh, taxidermied creature you've got sitting there. And the owner says, do you know what it is? He says, no. It's in that case, you can't have it. <laughs> they can't, no one knows what it is. But it's, it's kind of like a duck-billed platypus, except it doesn't look anything like one. Pearl, I'm thinking, you got some uh, stories about when you were in radio in Walla Walla? <laughs> yeah, I sure do. Go ahead. Let's go, can let's can make we kill Burl and then use that as the excuse for the show today? I'm, I'm thinking. Okay. Okay. I worked, first of all... You're at, really doing it. I'm, I'll really do it. <laughs> because, I mean, this is really high-class stuff. I was working at a radio station called KTEL, 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 1490, you know, just to the, to the glove box of your car. 250 watts of power. I had hair dryers with more power than this radio station. And they had a studio downtown, right in the heart of the city. Enormous, because the radio station had been built back in like in the 30s or 20s or whatever the hell it was. You could put an orchestra in there. This is in Walla Walla? Walla Walla. Okay. Beautiful facilities. You know, carpeted. They had, uh, you know, like I say, you could bring an orchestra in there. And then they had the booth where the controls were. And I was given lessons in how to be an announcer. Now, this is before television. Before television was invented? Yes. <laughs> no, no, but okay. Mr. DuPont and I were working on it in the back room. <laughs> anyway, he, he, Mr. Uh, DuPont. The, uh, the owner of the radio station, his name is Mr. Keating, Happy Jack, we called him. He, not to his face, of course. Uh, but now, hell, you can Now he's it. dead, yeah. yeah right. He'll get me in the next world. <laughs> yeah. uh, he would have me, I was a 16 year old boy. And he'd have me read uh, the advertising copy for Falkenberg's Jewelers. And when I got to the name of the store, you know, ladies and gentlemen, remember that's Falkenberg's. He goes, no, 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 no. You have to say it, Falkenberg's. Okay. And if I, no matter what the commercial was, when you got to the name of the sponsor, you had to do that. <laughs> so he's standing way on the other side of the room. This room's huge. He says, uh, take a... Deep breath, you gotta learn how to breathe from your, you know, diaphragm. It's like an opera singer, control the air. Okay. So I'm reading the 60 second copy. He says, no, 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 no. He says, you need more pressure, more pressure on the diaphragm, right? He says, lay down, lie down on the carpet. Now that should have been my first clue. But uh, I'm a kid, right? So I, I lay down face first on the carpet. He says, now press, he says, press as hard as you can against the carpet. Take a big deep breath and count. See how high you can count 
Oh, you're pressed against the carpet. Okay. One, two, three. Every day, just do it again. Do it again. And every time I'm getting better at it, you know. But I also notice that every time he says do it again, he's closer. This is very stagey. I mean, very cagey stagey. You know, bit by bit, slowly I turned. Yeah. <laughs> step by step. Yeah, step by step. Yeah. Uh, you look like a nice man. So there I am. And all of a sudden, now his voice is really close. Just do it again. I'm going one, two. He's <laughs> knocked out of me because he's on top of me. <clears throat> just relax. Just keep counting. And uh, his hand kind of comes up underneath. Well, these that have what they call jack shirts. They were, you know, just came to your waist. And I said, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm ticklish. And he said, I'll be gentle. Whew. So that was my introduction to radio. Uh, so how far? No, no. The question mm -hmm. is, the question is, what happened after that? After that, uh, I said, Mr. Keating, I won't be able to see you, uh, being as you just hired me to work weekends. I won't be able to see you any future Sunday mornings. He wanted me to come back every Sunday morning for more, more lessons. Did you tell him it was Shabbos, or how'd you get out of it? No, I just said I'll be on the air. Oh, okay. In fact, one of my favorite radio memories. You've, you've had to do rip and read news and stuff like of that. Of course. Oh yeah. Well, on Sundays at 12 noon, there was 15 minutes of news read by Mr. K. Mesquite, live from downtown Walla Walla. He'd read, it was rip and read, giant stack. 15 minutes of reading this uh, AP or UPI with copy. Well, he also was a chain smoker, Paul Malls, and drank uh, whiskey more than Matt ever drank in the, the old days. In the middle of the newscast, he says, in Vietnam today, <clears throat> he chokes, and he keeps choking. Now, he is downtown, 2nd and Tyneton, Walla Walla, Washington. Uh, no, I'm at 2nd and Tyneton. He's all the way downtown. I'm out in the field where the transmitter is. And I hear him choke, and then I hear the chair tip over, and I hear the papers. <whistles> and then all I hear is the spinning of the wheels on his chair. And then silence. Now, you're 16 year old kids, your boss has just died live on the air. What do you play? It was a variety of stations. We didn't Happy play days. rock all again? the time, we didn't play country all the time, but you had block programming. Yeah. Now, do I play like the number one song by the Supremes, or do I play some, uh, you know, uh, a country tune? <laughs> you know, and I'm debating this in my mind because I've never been in this situation before. I finally decided I'm going to go with Montavani. You know, something kind of peaceful. In a memory of our general manager. <laughs> and just as I'm about ready to let the, the record play, I hear, Hah! and I hear the chair being righted up. I hear, scooping up all the papers. And honest to God, he picked up mid-sentence. Because he started off, in Vietnam, and he came back, today, and <laughs> he just came, didn't miss a beat. There's only about seven minutes between when he went down, and, and he never mentioned it. At the end of the uh, broadcast, he uh, got a little private line and said, thank you, Burrow, for a fine engineering job. <laughs> you should have played the Supremes. You know, early in my career, yeah. I was working at WEIM in Fitchburg, mm -hmm. and we actually had a news, news department in a small Massachusetts town. <clears throat> about 42 miles northwest of Boston. And uh, we had a news department, and I was in, on the weekend. I'm doing a weekend Saturday afternoon show, and Jack Raymond was the newsman. I think Jack is still at that radio station. And uh, it's been Jack, dark for several years. But he's still Jack there. would do the news from behind me, and he would hey, he'd always come in with his news and a few uh, what we called carts where uh, on this, uh, these are tapes for with... Uh, the actualities or mm -hmm. some of the sound that he wanted to play during he comes in one day he's got 14 carts mm. no copy no copy <laughs> so, so records running out I go Jack go get your copy we're doing this he goes don't need any mm. why, why, why not oh I'm just going to talk in between the carts I said you going to make up the news yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's like uh, Leo Lassen, who did the sports, you know, the baseball games. And he wasn't really at the baseball games. He's reading off the wire where it says, you know, uh, ball, 
strike. <laughs> oh no, that was that was that very, was a very, talent. That was very common in the fifties and sixties. And he had that pencil would and whack somebody, against somebody the would have table. a uh, they in, in, in Buffalo. Bill Mazur was a great sportscaster of all time, and and uh, he had a. Uh, it, it wasn't a, a, a sound. He had, had a thing he hit, and every time it sounded like a ball hitting a bat. Yeah. Well, see, the glass and used a number two Ticonderoga pencil hitting the edge of the table. But he would sit there and read off the wire with Phil Soyson doing color. So yeah. you had two guys sitting there in a radio station in the middle of Buffalo, and the, and the, and the team could have been, you know, in Syracuse, New York playing. And uh, they'd read it off the wire. And I'm a kid. And, did, and you think it was real? I, as a kid, and I loved the baseball team, and I loved baseball, and uh, I thought it was real. Yeah. So and then I met Bill Mazur, and I did. told him, boy, you see all those games. He goes, no, only half of them. Vince <laughs> <laughs> Scully tells a fabulous story. And, and if, if he, he did, he'd tell it next to the microphone. He would tell it right next to the microphone. I am he, right next to the microphone. He is somebody that you should admire. Vince Scully tells a fabulous story of when he was young, and that's how he was doing uh, broadcasts. Half of the games, yes. Yeah, and unbeknownst to him, there was a snafu on the wire, and it was a different game coming over. No, not no. The <laughs> that didn't matter. No, it all sounds the same. Play by play of the Baltimore Orioles game. National League team. <laughs> Suddenly, and it did. It, it took him a few beats to recognize that the names of the players were different. They were wrong, and he didn't know what to do. So he just kept doing the game and putting in his own play. <laughs> he, could, uh, he knew the lineup. And he, he became the greatest of all time. Yeah. Which Except is, for me, of course. No. I didn't do any sports broadcasting. And I could understand yeah, why. That's right. <laughs> I'm not, not exactly like Mr. Sports. What the hell is burning in here, by the way? Uh, beds. Uh, beds are burning. Oh, this show is burning. <laughs> rapidly. Uh, okay, what was the next exciting story I was going to tell? Oh, uh... I worked at the transmitter site, which was in a field at the corner of 2nd and Titan, and the little shack or shed that the uh, transmitter uh, and the control room were located was totally infested with black widow spiders. So I would sit uh, there behind the board by uh, my expensive vertical faders and my Gates uh, diplomat uh, columns or whatever it was, and uh, shoot the black widow spiders with a pellet rifle for amusement. So there you go. KTEL 1490, Walla Walla. <laughs> Junior Walker in the All-Star. Yeah. Shotgun shooting for a run now. Mm -hmm. There's also shotgun wedding, wasn't it done by, uh, uh, oh, come on. Sounds like a Georgia Satellites. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Sounded like a country song. Yeah. Sounds like a country song. Yeah, my baby walks the streets of Baltimore. So, just to let the audience know, we have no show today. Well, we do. It's just a weird one. It, well, we don't <laughs> have a guest. But yeah. What, tell us, what, what we did have guests. We did have guests. Uh, unfortunately, um, the people that we had sort of finagled into carving an hour out of their week uh, suddenly uh, had to reconsider... Uh, mm. I had a nice lineup. At the last minute, I had this little brainstorm. A good friend of mine, Barbara Martin, is, uh, is on leave, uh, shall we say, from uh, the United States Department of State. She has been there in the State Department under, I think, about three or four different uh, secretaries of state. Uh, very knowledgeable. And was primarily working in The Hague for the State Department. And she's just got great stories. And I thought, wow, I see that she's online. And just as I send her a message saying, Barbara, we're going to talk to Kwan. Off. <laughs> then, no, no, she goes into a, she's on another call. Oh, <laughs> she, she never got the message. I thought that would be a fun one because she does have some great, uh, great stories. Uh, what was there something, a story I was, that made me think that uh, Frank would appreciate the story? It was another one of those bizarre ones. Very peculiar. Uh, you know, there was a time in radio, and I'm sure you remember this and, and Matt as well. When the big fear was that we would all be replaced by what they called a scully, which is a giant tape machine, giant rolls of tape on it. And I remember seeing an advertisement, print ad, for scully. And it showed a dorky-looking guy 
with a bad mustache, holding a cup of coffee, smoking a cigarette. She goes, you want this working for you? Or do you want, it shows this dead roll of tape. You want this working for you? But this is not bode well. But we all thought that was... We thought we were going to get uh, taken over by that. And, and, it, we and, did. and, and it was <laughs> other things. It, it took us 30 years for it to actually happen. What? It was, I think he tried to say it was several years it before it actually years happened. Before, or more before that actually came to fruition. For automation took over and replaced his jockeys. Yeah, he said chloroform replaced his jockeys. <laughs> well, they are. He gives you back. You listen to him and you nod off. <laughs> but I mean, that's. The, what was the interview with the. Uh, what's with those big uh, chains uh, like Intercom or. Uh, what is the loud door? He said, no, we let, uh, we let the local program director have a great deal of autonomy in deciding what hits they're going to play. Of course, we sent them out a memo that says, you will play these hits. You could go town to town to town across America and listen to the satellite services. They're all playing the same hits. That's right. It's called consistency, predictability. Well, why have um, program directors in every market when you can have one for 30 markets? Yeah, that's one for 80 markets. Yeah. Actually, one for uh, 1,200. Same with air talent. I mean, you could have Magic Matt cut those liners, and he runs all over America, and he sounds damn good, too. Yep. Why invest in developing new talent? No, you no reason. <laughs> no reason at all. <laughs> Thank God someone invested in us. You can see how far that got us. <laughs> Our best thinking got us here. That's right. That's right. Well done. Well done. I'm glad you put it that way. I'm done. <laughs> I always got a kick out of the ads in the industry magazines. If someone wanted to hire a disc jockey, it would say, no flakes or floaters, please. Now, if you were a flake or a floater and you read that, would you go, oh, well, I'm not going to apply there. Yeah, but if, if you're not a flake or a floater, you're not in radio. That's right. <laughs> what the hell? Boy, I sure, we sure got a share of those. Did you ever work with Paul Oscar Anderson, Big Daddy Blue Eyes, POA? No, we had HOA and uh, WABC. Now I got an HMO. Uh, I have an EIO. <laughs> yeah, Bill McDonald. Yeah. We, we had Herb Oscar I Anderson. Have a oh, yeah, Herb Oscar Anderson. This That's is Paul right. Oscar Anderson. And Paul was a, uh, a recalcitrant heavy drinker. And he came up with this great idea. He comes to our program and says, I've got a brilliant, fabulous, I a brilliant idea for I'm program. taking Herb Oscar Anderson's name. Yeah. I'm just going to put Paul in. And yeah. And then I'm going to go undercover as a derelict wino in the streets of Seattle. And I'll have a hidden microphone to record all my adventures and uh, see what it's like to be living on the street in a jet city. Oh, okay. So we wired him up. And, uh, you know, radio broadcasting to a scully, you know, in a hotel room, recording everything. Well, he goes down there with his uh, uh, stipend to buy alcohol. And that's the last we saw of him. <laughs> Ever. Ever. Yeah, that was it. Uh, I think finally about uh, half a week later, we had to bail him out of uh, somewhere drunk and disorderly. And then all of a sudden, he, uh, he said, take this job and shove it, and then went to work in Portland or something. I thought he came back with a week's worth of great tape. <laughs> no. No. No, it didn't, didn't quite work that way. We did have uh, some great tape. I think Magic Map was around for this one. And that's when uh, one of the station promotions at KYYX was they were going to climb Mount Rainier and broadcast to this remote from the top of Mount Rainier in Washington State. The Terry McDonald. <laughs> T-Man. Uh, yeah, T-Man. He, he did the show, and he also was a production guy. A really great guy. And his wife was about eight months pregnant. Not my fault at this time. And they go up there, and guess what happens? No, I can't guess. You can't guess. Well, I bet anybody who ever read the TV movie could guess. And that is, a giant storm comes in, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson is not there to save their ass, and they are stranded on the mountain with this horrible storm. And... Uh, Terry is with guys who are experienced, you know, mountain climber guys. He's just, you know, the schlump that plays the hits, you know. And it reaches a point where he actually volunteers to let himself die so that they can leave because they won't go without him, you know, so they're going slow and the storm's coming in and he's, I'm listening to this, you know, this is live. And, uh, you know, he's not sitting somewhere reading a script. He says, you know, listen, guys, he says, I'm not stupid. He says, I'm slowing this whole thing down. 
get the hell out of here. Go get to the top of the helicopter is coming in to pick you up. He says, because I'm slowing you down too much. Which I thought was a pretty amazing thing to do. Meanwhile, his wife is listening, sitting right there by me, and she's listening to this live. She's, you know, starts sobbing away. And uh, they say, no, no, we're not going to leave you here. You know, we're taking you. No, we're not leaving, we're leaving you behind. And they didn't leave him behind, and they all got rescued off the mountain, and it cost the state a fortune to uh, get those stupid dish jockeys off the top of the mountain doing a remote. Nowadays, they, the state charges you for the rescue. Yeah, they, shoot, they come down with these, like, game guns and shoot at the dish jockeys for fun. <laughs> do, they, do they waddle back and forth across the scenery? Right. Like, just like at the carnival. It's a lot of fun. Did I tell you the story? No, you didn't. I didn't think so. I may have told uh, Howard. This has nothing to do with radio. I'm at my folks' house. I'm an adult in this story, and so is my sister's there and everything. My sister says, Burl, she says, have you ever noticed that we have this really nice fireplace in the living room? I said, yeah, I've noticed. It's great. You notice we've never had a fire in it? And by God, you're right. We never have had a fire in the fireplace. She says, why don't you ask Dad why that is? So I said, hey, Dad, got a question for you. Yeah, what's that? We got this great fireplace with a fire iron and all that stuff. But in my entire life, we have never had a fire in the fireplace. Why? He kind of smiled. He goes, well, I'll give you the honest to God answer. I wake up in the morning, and I come out here, and I look at that fireplace. One more day that I didn't have to light that fire to stay alive. Because when he was a kid, back then, he had a huddle next to the fire to keep from freezing to death. So every day that he didn't have to light that fire was a victory. It's all a matter of perspective. So he says, but you so that was Daddy Bear. That was Daddy Bear. And he said, if you want a fire, go ahead, build a fire. He said, I don't care. So we waited, we did, and then he really liked the fire. Things were strange like that. He said the Cossacks used to come through and uh, shoot at the kids who were swimming in the... Uh, water hole outside of town. He said he'd have to dive down with the bullets going through the water. Those were fun times. I guess. Great childhood memories. Oh, I, I, I can't imagine how much fun it was to get shot at on a constant basis. <coughs> that must have been hilarious. Oh, yeah. Well, the, there's one time uh, my dad was walking to, to the little village there. The friend of the family was taking him for a walk, holding his hand. The Cossacks came through and killed the guy right there. Right, right there, my dad holding on to his hand. They're strange times. They weren't good times. No, they were not good times. My dad did uh, get to pick his own name, and he did made a mistake. <laughs> he wanted a real American name, so he picked the name Dick, which would be okay if his last name was Bearer. And uh, in school, they always say the last name first. You know, so they go, Bearer Dick, and everyone would laugh and point. So his teacher took him aside and said, change your name. Change it to David. <laughs> so he did. How about that? David Dick. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, my mom got hell for naming me Burl Bear. That uh, was terrible. Why was that? The doctor comes in. The, the, my mom has given birth to a charming child, such as I. And the doctor starts giving my mom hell. He says, how can you do that to that young child and burden him with the name Burl Bear? He forgot the legendary part. Burl Bear. That's really tragic. But you weren't legendary. Then. Well, I was but pre-legendary. <laughs> And uh, so she had to come up with a middle name because he was she's got to give that kid a, a normal middle name. Well, jet airplanes and everything were kind of new at the time, 47, so it was like Roger A-OK, -okay, so she named me Rogers by middle name. Well, that story I thought was kind of interesting, but I wondered why he was so adamant, so upset about it. <laughs> then it occurred to me. I knew his daughter, good-looking, too. Sat next to me in school because they do us alphabetically. Honest to God, true story, my mother's OBGYN was Dr. Beaver. And his daughter's name was Brenda Beaver, who could not wait to get married to change her name. Again, a true story from the annals of Walla Walla, Washington. Who did, who did she marry? Um, Stephen Twout. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not privileged to reveal that at this time. What was her Hebrew name? Her Hebrew name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of which, when I uh, was last back in Walla Walla, it was for a funeral. 
I believe it was my sister's funeral. That's why she wasn't there. Uh, but oh, she was there. She was there, but uh, she wasn't as loquacious as usual. We're uh, standing behind the, uh, you know, the, the tombstones, whatever you call them, and my cousin Arnie, he's the one who smashed me in the head. <laughs> so it's all his fault. He still mentions it every time he sees me. Because yeah, he's still screwed up when I smashed you in the head with a pipe. Uh, he's, he can read Hebrew. He calls us. Burly B says, you see what it says on the back of this tombstone here? I said, no, there's a bunch of Hebrew letters. I mean, I've, I've got a trophy in Hebrew class, but I, <laughs> I can't remember anything. He says, it has the same information as the one next to it, which is my dad. They just copied the Hebrew from one tombstone to the other, not realizing that someone's going to read it and go, no, that's not Mr. I.J. Bear, that's David Bear. And so they had to redo the entire tombstone. That's from the town too tough to die. Okay. Uh, so where was this Walla Walla? Walla Walla, the the yeah, oldest town in the state, one of the uh, only uh, cities. How did the how did the the bears make it from the old country to? Um, Glad you asked me that one. Oh, my. Uh, well, first of all, uh, Uncle Ike escapes from Russia, comes over here, goes uh, like gold prospecting in Alaska, whatever. Marries this woman. They have uh, a few kids, and then uh, like the third kid, I believe, she dies in childbirth. The mother-in-law, who is a widow, comes to help him take care of the kids. She and he are the same age. His, he had a younger wife. He was like 40, and she was like 22 or something. So he marries the mother-in-law, and they have a kid. So play, I'm my old grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's one of those where your your grandmother is also your mother. mother. Yeah, it just gets like that, you know. But that's a true story. Uh, and he also had a wife back in uh, back in Russia. Uh, my dad, when he escaped from Russia, there was uh, he was seven years old. His sister, I think, was nine, and the other brother. I think I told you the story where they were going across the river from into Romania, and they. Uh, my grandfather, who had already escaped from Russia, came to America, ran around, did a bunch of stuff, snuck back into Russia, fathered another child, escaped again, and came to America. Seven years later, he's a U.S. citizen. He goes back to Romania with a money belt that has $10,000 cash American in it. This is for you, what, 1917 or something? I mean, that was a hell of a lot of money. And it was all given by families for him to smuggle Jews out of Russia. Well, so he's pay, paying off the guards and getting people out. Well, the guards got drunk and decided they were just going to take the money and they were going to kill my grandmother and the kids and just throw their bodies in the river. Fortunately for them and for me, because I wouldn't be here otherwise, a cleaning lady overheard the guards plotting this, and she ran down to the river because if the guy's making a fortune rowing the little boat back and forth. <laughs> he didn't leave the country. He just kept rowing the boat. So he'd go back, go back. They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. So they went back. It took six months of being in this safe house, that safe house, for the arrangements to be made for my grandfather to uh, uh, bribe other guards farther down the line. But the Romanian police became suspicious of my grandfather. Here was this large man who seemed to be of wealth and prestige who'd been staying in town about six months or longer at the hotel. So they arrested him on suspicion of something. And they find the money belt. And they start counting it out. And they keep counting. At that time, in probably 1917, $10,000 American was probably more than the gross national product of Romania. <laughs> it was too much money. So much money that it scared the hell out of them. Damn, it was more than they could comprehend. And he's yelling, I'm an important American citizen. This is going to be an international incident. Well, yeah, he was an American citizen, but he wasn't. For 20 minutes. For 20 minutes yeah. in their mind. Yeah. And so they, they were scared. So they gave him back all the money except five bucks, which they felt was a fair fine for their their efforts. And uh, that was the same night that uh, some guy said, hey, your wife and kids are waiting for you at the hotel. They made it across. Then they came to America. Like, you could go on if your uh, grandparents or whatever came to the country uh, through uh, Ellis Island. I don't mean the casino in Vegas. I mean the uh, the real one. 
You can go online, I think, to ellisisland.org, and you can see the actual papers of the passengers. And so I was able to look and, and find uh, my dad and my aunt, uncle, everything. You know, right? You can look look at that stuff online, which is great. Ancestry.com does it. They yeah. also can. You can also get the name of the boat they were on. Lusitania. <laughs> that was a rough one. Mm. Well, they wouldn't have had a problem if they took the Lusitania to America. Yeah. Heading back it, was it, a little it, more difficult. Yeah. Oh, God. Remember the Hindenburg? I wasn't alive when the Hindenburg. What, what, what year did the You're Hindenburg asking me was? if I remember the Hindenburg, and you're saying you weren't alive when it happened. Well, I don't remember if I was alive or not. Humanity. <laughs> yes, I do know what you're talking about. Okay, what year was it? Anybody know? 39. Was it? I think sure? it was 36. 40 Hindenburg. No. 36. 36. 30 what? Put right. the difference. Thanks, Siri. Have to take her out to lunch. <laughs> She's a cheap date. Buy her some brisket. <laughs> Here, have a transistor. At that at that airport in yep. Lakewood, New Jersey, there is an outline on the ground of a memorial of the exact length of the Hindenburg and its width, and it's in the exact spot where it had actually crashed and burned. That's the most horrific radio broadcast of real tragedy probably I've ever heard. You know, it's coming in now. This is a wonderful. And then it, the thing yeah, but his up. voice was very high pitched, but yeah. that was not correct because of the way that it was recorded. Mm-hmm. It was recorded literally there on a uh, wax print, and mm-hmm. because on the playback it came back faster, so it sounds that way. Yeah. And but he, humanity. Yeah. What was that? What did Magic Man say? Hmm? All, all the, the humanity. all the humanity. That's the big quote. Oh yeah. My favorite quote that I was on impromptu. At long last, sir, have you no <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, the Army McCarthy hearings. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And that was to Senator McCarthy by Joseph Welsh. Yeah. At long last, sir, have you no decency? That must be Howard. <laughs> Joseph, by the way, Joseph Welsh went on to play a judge in a movie called Judgment at Nuremberg. Really? Yeah. How about that? Uh, the other one is, uh, I remember Edward R. Murrow saying this, because I used to, I watched those. Uh, but it wasn't in the movie. Oh, God, that's loud, Howard. <laughs> it's really yeah. loud. It's, it's, better it's, than one where it's better than the show. He says, all that's in Senator McCarthy's briefcase is a bottle of scotch. He used to say, I have in this briefcase a list of the comments. Oh, there's a bottle of scotch. The guy who played uh, Al Jolson, the Jolson story, Larry Parks. Yeah. He was one of the guys who was blacklisted. Yep. And he and his wife, who used to be on Laverne and Shirley, uh, they were doing like a dinner theater thing in Las Vegas. And uh, they're having dinner and bottle of champagne is brought Betty up. Betty Garrett. Table. Yeah, that's right, Betty Garrett. Bottle of champagne is brought to the table. And uh, the waiter says, oh, this is a gift from the uh, gentleman over there. And Larry looks, and it's... <laughs> McCarthy. Joe McCarthy's giving him a bottle of champagne. Mm. And McCarthy motions for him to come over. <laughs> Parks was just as soon throttled the guy as look at him. <laughs> he gets over there, and there's Joe McCarthy, drunk on his ass as usual. And he's giving advice to Larry Parks on how to deal with the uh, ignominious situation that he's in, thanks to McCarthy. She goes, don't let the sons of bitches get you down, kid. <laughs> you just got to keep a stiff upper lip. And, uh, man, he just, oh. The evil one out of that was Roy Cohn. Oh, hell yes. But what was so insane is to think that that they could go after the army because he wanted his boyfriend to get the <laughs> David Shine. Yeah, boy, you got a good memory. Did you see the movie they made of that with uh, um, um, what's his name, James Woods playing? Yeah. Work on. God, how appropriate! He died. <laughs> he was always picking on homosexuals. And he, he, uh, Please, Roy Cohn was the biggest friggin' queen in New York. Yeah, that's only because J. Edgar Hoover was in Philadelphia. <laughs> But I mean, why? Uh, this always mystifies me. 
maybe it's the same thing happens in any minority group where some of the most vocal anti-whatever it is, anti-Semites, uh, anti-gay, anti... are what they hate. Mm -hmm. We call them Republicans nowadays. No. <laughs> God, does that mean that Matt's a gay black woman? Mm. No, it's it's just tradition that you have to be that way. You can't be this, you can't be that. This was, you know, during the period of time, it wasn't until 1969 that the gay revolution started. And Roy Cohn was being evil back in the 40s and 50s. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. It was dreadful. It was dreadful to a lot of people. I have, I have one story for you, and this is involving my great aunt. She used to play poker in New York at Cardinal Spellman's residence. Mm. And there would be a variety of people that would come over to play poker at one night. You know, and she was, a, you know, favored was Harry Truman. Mm. Uh, and in that group would be some Broadway producers, Tallulah Bankhead would mm. come by every once in a while. And it was just like a gathering. They'd sit down there, they'd play a couple of hands of poker, you know. Uh, she'd call it Penny Ante. And she was there. Roy Cohn walked in. Buzzkill. And she excused herself and she said, I'm sorry, I've got to go. And she got... The next day, she got a phone call, and she said, I can't stand that man, and I don't want to be in the same room with him. She never got invited back again. Mm. Because Cardinal Spellman was gay, mm. friends with Roy Cohn, who was also... It was like the little the gay mafia in New York Cafe Society back in the 50s. True story. Years later, Roy Cohn is being interviewed at the TV station where I'm doing work. Oh, a lucky man. And I turned and I said, I can't be in the same room with him. I don't want to breathe his air. And I left. Yay. And the station management came over to me and congratulated me and thanked me. Oh, how about that? So how times change. Yeah. <laughs> times change, taste change. I've changed to tempo. You know, there's only one tobacco leaf in seven that's light enough, bright enough for new bright light... Mm. Crap Spring. Spring was the name of the cigarette. One tobacco leaf and seven is light enough, bright enough for new spring cigarettes. It was a menthol. Yeah, and the reason, I mean, this is really great thinking. Because the darker the tobacco leaf, the better it is. So they have all this crap on the floor that they're sweeping up. They'll throw in the garbage. Someone said, there must be some way to sell this. Only one in seven is light enough, <laughs> bright enough. They did it. Sold it. It's amazing. America has, been, has an incredible ability to make anything palatable. Anything palatable. Oh, I saw Hart Fisher. The reason I happened to be at the CIA. There's no Hart Fisher. nut bags. No, he's good. He's looking great. His wife, sadly, you know, a uh, young, very attractive, intelligent young lady, died uh, a few months ago. Hey. Terrible. Cancer. Oh, God, I mean, it was one of those long, protracted, painful, agonizing deaths. Oh, sorry to hear that. And so he was right by her side, you know, I mean, like for like more than a year. Asshole, but I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, when she died, he was, you know, going through all the stages, the devastation and, you know, totally off off the rails. And then he posted this great post on, on Facebook where he says, all right, <laughs> you know, I did that. Went off the rails, da 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 da. But I just want you to know, I'm back, and I remember everybody how you treated me when my wife died and I went off the rails. Some of you were there saying, "Come on, Hardy, it'll you know, it's dark now, but you know, you'll pull your life together." And others just said, "Plenty didn't know me." <laughs> and uh, he was very gracious to me. So he came in town uh, with his mom and put on this event last night at, at this place uh, in honor of his late wife. And there was live music and all sorts of uh, great stuff. And it was, uh, he looked really good, though. I mean, he'd lost weight. He was, he said he'd been back to, you know, getting, getting healthy. And he's doing real well. He's got the American Horrors not only on the filmon.com, but he's also on Roku now with the general lineups of stations. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I got Roku in my home. Did, uh, what did Barbara think of me? Event. What did Barbara? Barbara didn't go. Barbara was uh, doing something with the screaming liberal Democrats that night. They're not. They're not left in the field. <laughs> what the dead mummies? No. <laughs> <screaming> <laughs> <liberal>. <laughs> 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 oh, 
Uh, well, she's she's figuring out the the problem with the what I've always known was the problem with the Democrats. That is, they don't do anything. <laughs> you know, I, I don't like necessarily what the Republicans usually do, but the Democrats. What, what's that great line in the uh, newsroom? You know, the Jeff Daniels TV show, the newsroom. We asked him what. Yeah, no, it's no, it's uh, no. You're thinking of network. Uh, yeah. What makes America great, the greatest country on earth? He goes, I don't know what the F you're talking about. <laughs> he said, we're numbers such and such and this. We're not, he goes through all the, the lists of where we are relative to all the other countries. Because one of the other guests said, freedom, freedom, and freedom. That's what makes America the greatest country on earth. Denmark's got freedom. Canada's got There's 228, 147 of them have freedom. No, not true. Not true. Ah, I've been to the... We're talking about full, full freedom. Yeah, where where are we now? Number eighteen. Freedom to protest. No, freedom. Freedom. Real freedom. Real freedom, like they have in Scandinavia. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, we used to uh, over the last thirty years. It used to be, and he mentions this, but I noticed it myself. Is that if you look at the what's called the democracy index, it comes out every year. There's all the so-called democracies on level of transparency, levels of corruption, et cetera, et cetera. We used to be, you know, like number one, two, three with the U.K. and Canada. We're down like number 18. Oh, God, you and your stupid studies and polls. Uh, I know. The thing about facts. All those things about to, facts. Uh, uh, the uh, things about studies. And coffee's good for you, but co wait, wait, coffee's wait, bad. bad for you. Wine's good for you. But, no, well, wine's bad for you. I'll tell you why that is. Stop it with this. I'll tell you why that is. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on who's sampling. No, it's, the, it's, it's the, with the wine thing. Yeah. What's good for you in the wine is not the alcohol. No, I know that. It's I, the juice from the, yes. the grape juice. So, so, so it's so not that wine is good for you, it's that the grape. grapes are good it's for you. The grapes. Yeah, they're doing a little spin there. <laughs> you think? A yeah, little I bit. think it's a little bit. Yeah, whiskey, damn good for you, because all those grains, the Lord knows, grains are a major source of, gra of granaries. <laughs> yeah, you're not a coffee drinker, right? Oh, uh, yeah, I love a good cup of coffee. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but you don't, like, I, I drink many a day. Oh, I used to do that. You did? Yeah. yeah. I used, especially if it was good coffee. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Do you know that good coffee? Coffee is by nature sweet. Mm -hmm. Good coffee doesn't is sweet. taste like burnt poop. No, and it's—I'll tell you what—it is difficult to find that sort of coffee. Mm -hmm. And and you will search. There was a place here in the valley, Rocky's Roasters, that was off the hook, and then they went out of business. A little too good, <coughs> I guess. That's it. Yeah, it's when the coffee's too good, it's time to go home. By the way, you, you have an extra long intro here, so. Do I? Well, this is the long version. You want to take it with Howard? You want to uh, talk up to the call letters and talk up to the label? It's an instrumental. Yeah, the color of the label. It's the color of the label. The time of the talk up. <laughs> is uh, Stevie Wonder behind the Foster Grants? <laughs> Is I, that your line? Yeah. Yeah, I stole that. Uh, you know, <laughs> come on, man. In fact, I only steal from the best. I used that just the other day. Yeah. One of the classics of all time. Is that Stevie Wonder by those Foster Grants? Well, you could almost feel the thunder from that Motown Brother Wonder on KFRC. Looking back on oh, yeah.